Welcome to the City of Refuge podcast, where our mission is to equip a diverse community of Christ followers to make him known. Well, good morning, church. And it's so good to to worship our Lord and our Savior with you. I must admit, every time the Culpepper's lead worship, I feel a little bit of shame. I'm like, man, what am I doing as a father, you know? <laughs> See, their their kids playing multiple instruments, and I'm just like, man, okay. So, thank you very much. Affirmations. But, uh... I want to tell my kids, I love you. There's no shame. I love you just the way you are. All right. So um, we are currently going through a teaching series that has been talking about learning to pray like Jesus. So praying like Jesus. And last week, we talked about uh, the prayer that Jesus teaches us uh, Many people call it the Lord's Prayer, but some feel that it should more be called the Disciples' Prayer because it's really a prayer that Jesus shows us about how we should be praying as disciples. And some people think that the passage we're studying today should actually be what's called the Lord's Prayer because in this we get one of the longest prayers recorded in Scripture from Jesus himself, and it's John chapter 17. The Gospel of John, chapter 17. And over the next few weeks, we'll be studying a few sections of this prayer. In this prayer, Jesus prays for himself. Jesus prays for the other 11 disciples that are with him. And he also prays for us, for the people who will follow him in the world after many, many years after he is no longer physically present here on earth. So John, chapter 17 is where we'll be from verse 1 to verse 5. John 17 from verse 1 through 5. And if you don't mind, I'd like us to read this together. So let's go ahead and read from verse 1 through 5. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory I had with you before the world existed. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray together, and uh, then we'll hear what God has to say to us today. God, thank you for your goodness and for your grace, for the way that you... Um, Show us your glory, and I pray, God, that this morning we would experience your glory in the same way that we would truly see you high and lifted up. Father, I ask that uh, you would make your word clear to all of us this morning, and I pray that I would only speak words that are given to me from you. I pray that uh, everyone who listens here would listen well with their ears 
and more importantly with their hearts so that we can continue to bring honor and glory to your name. It's in Jesus' mighty name that we pray together. Amen. So if someone was to ask you, when you hear the word glory, what do you think of? Let me just hear a few examples. Glory. What do you think of when you hear the word glory? Light. Magical. Any other words or phrases or images? Weight. That's a good one. Glory. Sorry? Victory. Gold. Yes, that's a good image. A giant picture. Yes. So these are all things that we think about when we hear the word glory. The word glory, right? It, it's a very, we don't use it in everyday language anymore. And so it's hard to describe exactly what glory is. But there's something in us when we hear that word glory, we think it has to be something big, right? Everything that everyone has said today has been majestic or brilliant, something that shines really, really bright. Um, you folks are a little more learned than me. When I hear the word glory, I think of a Denzel Washington movie uh, from back in the 80s. But uh, you get the picture, something weighty. And in fact, whoever said that, that, that's one of the words that is used in scripture to describe glory. The Hebrew word is, is just the word that means weight. So anything that's glorious is just something that has like weight. It's significant. It has meaning. It has value. And the other words that are used in, in scripture to describe glory are words like honor and reputation or praise, right? Splendor or radiance or brightness or grandeur. All these words capture what it means for something to be glorious. And the reason that word is really important for us this morning is because in the short passage we read today, either the word glory or glorify or glorified, those words show up at least five times, depending on what translation of scripture you're reading. At least five times that word shows up in this passage. And so, uh, like good students, anytime there's repetition, it's good for us to pause and ask, okay, why does this word show up so much? What is it about glory that in this prayer where Jesus is praying to his Father, he feels like he needs to mention the word glory so many times? See, in this passage, Jesus not only ascribes glory to the Father, but he also makes a very bold claim. In this very intimate prayer, we're giving this window into a conversation between Jesus Christ and God the Father. And in this prayer, Jesus asked God for something very specific. In verse 1, it says, When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Glorify your son, that the son may glorify you. Now, on Wednesday evening, I had the opportunity of studying this passage with uh, the community group that I meet with. We were supposed to study something else, but in true fashion, I was not prepared for Sunday. And so I asked my community group, what do you guys think about John chapter 17? <laughs> And luckily, they obliged, and we studied John 17 uh, together. So anything you like from the passage today, that was all me. 
And anything you don't like, you can take it up with my community group. But I want to give them credit because a lot of the thoughts I'll share with you today are actually things that were shared in our time of study in our community group. One thing that people noticed in the passage was that there's this deep intimacy that Jesus has with God. As he's praying to God, he's really connected to God, not just as the supreme creator of the universe, but as father. Jesus sees God as someone that he has real deep relationship and intimacy with. Now, there was a little bit of conversation about like how we should pray, right? Is lifting up our eyes to heaven like Jesus did in this passage the right way to pray? Have we been doing it wrong by folding our hands and bowing our heads and closing our eyes? Well, I'm not here to argue that, but we can argue it later. But in this passage, there's this intimacy that Jesus has with the Father as he looks up at the Father and he says these words, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Now, why is it important that Jesus is saying the hour has come? If you study the Gospel of John, throughout this Gospel, there are many different moments where people are asking Jesus to do something, and his response to them is, my hour has not yet come, or my time has not yet come. A few examples of that is in John chapter 2, Jesus' mother, they're at a wedding, and the hosts of the wedding run out of wine. And they're asking for more wine because they don't want to be shamed by not being able to provide enough for their guests at the wedding. And Jesus' mother comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, you have to do something. You have to help this family. And Jesus says to his mother, my time has not yet come. There's another moment in the, in the Gospel of John where John is asking a question about Jesus' time by giving us this story where Jesus' brothers are interacting with him, and they're starting to see that Jesus is gaining fame. He's becoming more famous. Many people are drifting towards his teaching, and so they say to Jesus, because Jesus at this time is preaching in the back country of Galilee, and they're like, Jesus, you know what? If we just changed location a little bit, let's just change your zip code. If you go to Jerusalem, you could get a lot more followers. I mean, many, many followers if you just changed position. And Jesus says to his brothers again, my time has not yet come. The hour has not yet come for me to glorify myself. But as we enter into this period where Jesus is celebrating Passover with his disciples, and he's praying to the Father. He says to the Father, Father, the hour has come. Glorify me so that I may glorify you. Now, this is a huge request because in other places in Scripture, we see something about, like, God's glory. This is a bold request by Jesus. Why? Because in Isaiah chapter 42, verse 8, God says this about his glory. He says, I am the Lord, that is my name. I do not share my glory with anybody. And so when Jesus is making this request, and remember, he's most likely praying this in the presence of his disciples. Like that's pretty bold because they know that God doesn't share his glory with anyone. 
And so for a person to ask for God to give them glory, that's a bold and a confident request. We see another time in Scripture, in the life of Moses, where Moses asked God, hey God, show me your glory. How do I even know I'm leading these people right if I don't know who you are and I haven't seen you? I feel like I'm just going on blind faith. God, show me your glory. And God tells Moses, I can't do that because nobody sees my glory and lives. So they end up bargaining and, and, and God comes up with the solution. He says, all right, I'll tell you what I'll do, Moses. I'll pass by and you see there's a little crack in the rock right there. I'm going to cover you with my hand so you don't see my glory. And then I'll just pass by and then you can kind of see like the remnants. You can kind of see the glow just flowing behind me. Because God says nobody can see my glory and live. But Jesus is asking for God to share this glory. Glorify me so that I may glorify you. You see, Jesus is saying that I want to be obedient to you as your son. I want to be obedient to you. And the obedience that I'm giving to you as a son is actually so that I can glorify you. He's not asking for glory for himself. He's asking for glory so that he can in turn glorify the Father. And in the next verse we see, verse 2, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. So you see, Jesus understands that all authority has already been given to him. And it's, it's really interesting most of the verbs that Jesus uses in this passage talk about salvation and victory as if they're already one, right? Jesus is talking a lot in a tense that captures a past action. God has already given him authority. God has already given him this assignment. God has already given him glory, right? Why is Jesus speaking so confidently when he hasn't even gone to the cross yet. It is because he believes and he has seen throughout his ministry on earth as he is obedient to the Father, the Father's glory is revealed to everybody around him. So he has tasted and he has seen that God is glorified when we are obedient and God has already given him this authority. And this passage tells us that God has given Jesus authority, not just over people who believe in him. It says God has given Jesus authority over all flesh. All flesh, everybody who lives is under the lordship and the power and authority of Jesus Christ. Whether we recognize that authority or not. Because that authority has been given to Jesus by God the Father. So all authority has been given to Jesus. And I love verse 3 because in this we get one of the clearest descriptions and definitions of what eternal life is. Jesus says this of eternal life. He says, and this is eternal life, that they know you the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. 
This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Now, I must confess to you that a lot of times when I think about eternal life, I'm usually thinking about the afterlife, right? When most of us think about eternal life, that's what we think. When we talk as Christians about eternal life, that's what we're usually thinking. It's like, okay, what's going to happen when I die? What's going to happen after this whole world comes to an end? But in here, Jesus says eternal life, yes, it includes that, but eternal life is about knowledge. It's about knowing God deeply. Eternal life is about knowing God, the only true God, and knowing Jesus Christ, whom God has sent. Because church, the truth is, there are a lot of false gods out there. There are a lot of false gods that want us to know them and to know them deeply. There are a lot of false gods that promise eternal life, that promise us that if you do what I say, if you follow me and if you pursue me with all of your heart, you will have everlasting life. But those are not true gods. The only true God is the Father of the universe who created all things through love and who has sent Jesus Christ, his only Son, to save, to rescue, and to rule over this world. Only this God can promise eternal life, and only knowing this God deeply brings us eternal salvation. So do you know this God? Do you know this God that brings eternal life, this God who has existed before the foundations of the world as a loving community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Do you know this God? And do you know Jesus Christ, whom this God has sent to this world? Do you know this God deeply and intimately? Because that's what it means to have eternal life. Knowing God, knowing God intimately, knowing God experientially, knowing God on more than Sunday, but throughout the week, not just life after we die, but knowing God even here and now. Do you know this God? Do you have eternal life? Jesus goes on as he prays. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory I had with you before the world existed. Again, that word comes up, glory. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished what you sent me to do. See, the work that God gave Jesus, Jesus says, I've accomplished it. I've been obedient. And even though he's not gone to the cross yet, Jesus has followed every single command that the Father has given him. And through his obedience, God is glorified. Through the obedience of Jesus Christ, God receives all the glory. And that's how we should pray. And that's how we should live as people who are obedient to what the Father 
sets out for us to do. In prayer, we're not only supposed to bring our requests to God. In prayer, we're also supposed to receive God's requests of us. Sitting down in prayer and listening and saying, God, what is it that you want me to accomplish? What do you want me to do today? What do you want me to do in this relationship that you have given me? What do you want me to do at my school? Who do you want me to be in my neighborhood? God has given all of us work to accomplish. And glorifying God comes when we receive and listen to the work that he has called us to do. And we actually follow through in joyful and grateful obedience, just like Jesus does in our passage as he prays today. I have accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world existed. Glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world existed. Now, you see, the request in verse 1 to just share glory, like that was an outrageous request. But now in this verse, Jesus is making like an even crazier claim. He's claiming essentially to be God. Glorify me with the glory I had with you before the world existed. Now, if Jesus was praying this in a closet, you know, let's, let's, let's assume that that was happening. But like, I'd like to assume that he's doing this in front of his disciples, and they're hearing him pray these things, and they're just like, what? Jesus is claiming that he has shared glory with God before the foundations of the universe were laid. And we see that because throughout the Gospel of John, John is already dropping hints here and there about what it means that Jesus has shared glory with God before the foundations of the world. You see it in the way John talks about the miracles, right? These are all miracles that he's pointing to God's sovereignty or Jesus' sovereignty over all of creation. But before he even gets into the narrative in John chapter 1, it begins with these words, and we heard them as Mark prayed this morning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was light, and that light was the life of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness shall never overcome it. Those are the words that John starts his gospel with, declaring to anybody who would pick up that scroll and read that Jesus Christ is the word from the beginning, one with God. Jesus Christ has shared glory with God from the beginning and the foundations of the world. And so now, like a person who has missed something so deeply life-giving, Jesus is crying out to the Father and saying to him, man, God, I miss, I miss you. I miss the glory that we shared before the foundation of the world. Like I've been obedient and this is awesome that I'm here to fulfill the work that you have called me to. But I miss what Father, Son, and Holy Spirit shared 
in and of themselves before the foundation of the world, consistently glorifying and lifting up one another. Jesus cries out to God and he makes this request and says, now God, in your presence, I want to share that glory again. I want to be in your presence again. I want to give and receive glory between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit like we did back before time began. And Jesus knows how this glory is going to come. You see, it's not going to come through mighty conquests. Jesus isn't going to get this glory riding into Jerusalem on a giant horse. In fact, he's just ridden in on a donkey, the humblest of animals. Jesus was born not in a palace, but in a humble manger. And there were shepherds that came and took the word about this birth and spread it across the land. And now Jesus is going to bring glory to God in the highest, not by riding in and sitting victorious on a throne, but by being stretched wide on a cross. And in fact, if you look at this image right here, this is a little cleaner than what the cross would have looked like. Crosses were the most brutal way of execution, humiliating. Because in this case, the cross was going to be located on a high place where everybody could see. And instead of three clean crosses, it would actually look more like a killing field. There would be numerous crosses. There's an old hymn that says, on a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. It is through laying down his life in obedience to being crucified on the cross that Jesus is going to bring glory to the Father. And when you think about that, a God who can bring glory to the Son and glory to himself through something as shameful as the cross is a God that is worthy to be glorified. That story of a God who is uniting people from every tribe and tongue and nation, that's a story that has Wait, it's heavy. If you look around this room, you should feel a weight of God's glory. The fact that we are here together as brothers and sisters, that's heavy. That's glorious. Jesus has prayed for this. And Jesus continues to pray for us. The weight of God's glory is something that we should pray for. And how do we pray like Jesus? We don't pray that God would glorify us. We pray the same thing that Jesus prayed. We want the Father to glorify the Son in every single thing we do. So we pray God, in the life of our church, glorify Jesus. We pray, God, in my marriage,
glorify Jesus. We say, God and my parenting, glorify Jesus. God and the things that I'm studying in school, when it feels hard and difficult, please bring all honor and glory to Jesus. God, in my sleeping and my waking and my eating, in every single thing I do, glorify Jesus. There's a simple song that my mother used to sing to me when I was a kid. In my life, Lord, be glorified, be glorified in my life, Lord, be glorified today. She would sing verse after verse with different words in there. She would change life to school, to work, to home. And I was like, man, when is this song going to end? <laughs> but there, there's truth in that, that every single moment of our lives, we pray that God is glorified. And when God isn't glorified, in every moment of our lives, we confess that to God, we receive his grace, and we live to try again, to bring glory to God in everything we say and everything we do. So how should we live this out? Well, let's, let's pray like Jesus. Let's pray that the glory of God would actually fill and cover the entire world as the waters cover the sea. Let's pray like Jesus and ask that in everything in our lives that God the Father would be glorified. Let's pray like Jesus and not just speak incessantly to the Father, but let's listen and hear what it is that the Father has for us to do. Where do we need to obey? Where do we need to be in order to bring glory to God? Praying like Jesus. In praying like Jesus, we always pray for God's glory to be shown. And when God's glory is shown through Jesus Christ and through us, it replicates, it ripples out. And people who do not know of this eternal life that is brought only through Jesus Christ, begin to feel it and begin to hear and begin to know the same God, the glorious God that we know, because obediently we step out and we call people to know Jesus Christ. Just like what we say is our mission here at City of Refuge. Our mission is to call and equip a diverse community of Christ followers to make him known. We want the entire world to know the eternal life that we have found in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And we will not stop. We will not settle. We will continue to be obedient in our prayers to the Father, asking him, Father, where do you want to be glorified? And help us to be obedient, sparing nothing to make that happen. In verse 5, Jesus prays for God to glorify him in his presence. 
And we know that the presence of God with us is the Spirit of God who empowers us to obey, empowers us to pray. So I want to spend some time asking you to just listen for the Spirit of God. Where is the Spirit of God prompting you to bring glory to God or to be obedient to something that God is asking you to do? So we'll listen for a few minutes and then we'll close our time continuing to pray together. Where is the Spirit of God calling you to bring glory to Jesus or to be obedient to the calling of the Father? Father, we pray that you would receive all the glory and all the honor and all the praise from our lives, who we are, and everything that we do. Lord, we pray that we would feel the weight of your glory resting on us individually, but also on us as a community. Father, I pray that we would feel your glory and always stand in awe of the work that you have already done in bringing salvation to our world. We already see a foretaste of that in our church as we see people that you have gathered from all over the globe to be family and to worship you. Lord, the work that you have done on the cross as we wait, is truly completed. So God, we ask that you would remain glorified. Receive all the glory, because all the glory belongs to you, in all of heaven and in all the earth. You alone are worthy of our praise. But Father, help us to be obedient to all the things that you are calling us to do in obedience with you whether those things are reaching out to a neighbor across the street or sharing a meal with somebody at work or at school or opening up the text of scripture with a person who does not know you and is curious about eternal life. Father, I pray that you would move 
our pride and selfishness out of the way so that you can get the glory. Jesus, thank you for sitting at the right hand of the Father, continuing to pray that through us, your glory would be revealed to this world. We have seen the glory of the Father because the Son of God, who existed before time and space, became flesh and dwelt with us. And unlike Moses, we are not consumed when we see the beauty and the splendor of our King Jesus. So God, we thank you for your grace, and we ask for more grace so that we can be obedient and in turn bring our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ glory. We ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.